Welcome to Creation, Myth, or Miracle. This is your host, ex-atheist Richard Walker. Hello again. I hope you heard our last couple of shows in which we talked about the idea that Darwin was wrong about the Tree of Life, and specifically the cover article of that title in New Scientist. And when we discussed it, we actually included the data, the statements from the real scientists who were doing the research, pointing out that the old simplistic tree concept does not match the genetic and molecular data at all, and that it must be revised, and they're proposing a web-type structure And some are saying we actually need to be rethinking our foundations for evolutionary biology because the genetic data is not consistent in terms of who evolved from whom. It's not consistent within the genetic data. One gene implies one evolutionary lineage. A different gene implies a different evolutionary lineage. And it's not consistent with the morphology or the structures, the shape, the appearance of the creatures, which was the old basis for determining the evolutionary tree. So there are very real scientific issues to be worked through here. And we tried to point out some of those so that you could become a bit educated about it. Well, I want to focus for a bit not on the science itself, but rather upon how this controversy is dealt with in our culture. Because it's really important that you come to an understanding of how the topic of origins is presented within our culture. The fact that New Scientist had a cover with a statement that Darwin was wrong absolutely infuriated a number of anti-creationists out there. And one blogger wrote, New Scientist hands the creationists a propaganda goldmine. Don't buy new scientists. Don't support those that provide support for creationists. And we pointed out that what he's calling a propaganda goldmine is simply presenting the scientific facts, the data that has been accumulating in the realm of genetics. But when it conflicts with the standard Darwinian theory, it's propaganda, and we shouldn't be telling people about it. Well, there are bloggers and forum participants and comments and articles all over the place that are flat out stating that that cover title is inaccurate and that the article did not present information that Darwin was wrong about the tree of life. Well, go read it. It certainly did. They're simply misleading you about the actual content of the article. Probably most of them never read it themselves in the first place. You have to understand, to a true believer of Darwinian evolution, it is fact, and it does not matter what any data is. So the idea that Darwin could have been wrong about the tree of life, that is inconceivable. So the article must be wrong. But nonetheless, go look for yourself, and you could find statements all over the place that the title on the cover is not what the article talked about. That's simply not true. Read it for yourself. So there's a strong sentiment out there that in protecting evolutionary theory, we want to control the argument that gets presented. Well, I want to move on and talk about what occurred short time ago where popular science decided to change their policy and shut down the comment sections on their articles. Now, why in the world 
Would popular science, popular seeming to imply that it involves the public, shut down discussion of the articles they present? Why do you think they would do that? Well, here's part of what they had to say. A politically motivated, decades-long war on expertise has eroded the popular consensus on a wide variety of scientifically validated topics. Everything from evolution to the origins of climate change is mistakenly up for grabs again. Scientific certainty is just another thing for two people to debate on television. And because comment sections tend to be a grotesque reflection of the media culture surrounding them, the cynical work of undermining bedrock scientific doctrine is now being done beneath our own stories, within a website devoted to championing science. What an incredible statement. Let's look at it closely here. Politically motivated war on expertise is eroding the popular consensus on a wide variety of scientifically validated topics, by which they mean evolution and climate change. We're not going to discuss climate change, but notice the buzzwords they use. It's a war on expertise by challenging scientifically validated topics. That seems to imply that whatever science says is true today is absolutely true, and nobody should ever challenge it. Well, that is precisely wrong. That is how science moves forward, is by figuring out that what they thought was true yesterday isn't quite right, and they move on to something that more accurately reflects reality. That's how science works. Why are they so concerned about this? Because it is eroding the popular consensus. In other words, the information presented in the comments, which challenges these scientifically validated topics, is convincing. If it were utter nonsense, you could simply show the counterfactual data, present the real data, and clobber that nonsense, and the readers would see these people have no leg to stand on. That's not what happens. Because in the area of evolution in particular, there is immense amounts of data that do contradict the standard approach to evolution, and the standard theory. Precisely some of the type of information presented in the New Scientist article that got everybody so upset. Notice the comment, the evolution is mistakenly up for grabs again. In other words, this is a done deal. Do not even entertain any discussion that it might need to be modified or horrors that it might be wrong. So their approach is shut down the comments instead of proving the dissenters are wrong by presenting scientific data. So what does this all mean? It means the popular science publication is going to become an unchallengeable mouthpiece so that they can try to influence the popular consensus to their beliefs. That's my definition of propaganda. What's yours? We're discussing popular science's approach to squelching discussion of what they consider to be proven science, and that is to shut down the comments section. And they're claiming that allowing comments is undermining, quote, bedrock scientific doctrine. Well, that's not true. If it's truly a bedrock scientific doctrine, you simply present the facts, the data, 
And that's the end of the discussion. What's actually challenged is scientific consensus in areas where it isn't well supported. I've previously mentioned the speech that Michael Crichton gave at Caltech about 10 years ago in which he discussed this issue of consensus science. You can read the speech on my website and plenty of other places on the web. But I want to look at a couple of things he said. First, remember, he said, let's be clear. The work of science has nothing whatever to do with consensus. Consensus is the business of politics. Science, on the contrary, requires only one investigator who happens to be right, which means that he or she has results that are verifiable by reference to the real world. In science, consensus is irrelevant. What is relevant is reproducible results. The greatest scientists in history are great precisely because they broke with the consensus. There is no such thing as consensus science. If it's consensus, it isn't science. If it's science, it isn't consensus. Period. Now notice that breaking with consensus is precisely what makes the greatest scientists great. And yet in our culture now, we're trying to shut down any discussion that would even challenge the consensus. That is actually an anti-science position to take. Again, why not just present the data to control the discussion? Why shut down the comments? Well, Crichton explains why. He says, finally, I would remind you to notice where the claim of consensus is invoked. Consensus is invoked only in situations where the science is not solid enough. Nobody says the consensus of scientists agrees that E equals mc squared. Nobody says that the consensus is that the sun is 93 million miles away. It would never occur to anyone to speak that way. And I would say there's no need to shut down discussions if what is presented is a verifiable scientific fact based in data any dissenting views will be easily shown to be incorrect. And those who read the comments would simply be further solidified in their understanding of the validity of the real science. Why do they want to shut down the ability for you to read the back and forth exchange that goes on in comment sections that might challenge the views of consensus science? You need to give that some serious thought. It's to prevent you from seeing the exchange that these are being shut down. Okay, well, popular science is a commercial endeavor, and they can do what they want. They can set the policy the way they choose to. It's up to you whether or not you subscribe to it and pay them money. But again, it's popular science, not academic science. So it's not pretending to be a discussion and participating in the actual business of science itself. But... That is the realm in which new scientist claims to be involved. So what type of reaction might we find at new scientist related to what popular science did? Well, listen to what this social media researcher recently wrote. The editors of popular science therefore deserve credit for doing what few others have managed. Start a long overdue debate among scientists, media, and audiences about how we communicate science in this new environment. Online debates, including the comment sections, need to be both heterogeneous in terms of the viewpoints they represent and civil in terms of the exchanges they produce. Social science tells us that disagreement among citizens can ultimately produce good outcomes. 
But modern societies also need to learn how to express disagreement without the substance of the debate being drowned out by yelling and screaming, especially in science. Until we get to that point, popular science might just have made the right decision in putting a hold on online commenting and giving all of us a chance to debate this issue a bit more carefully. So let me get this straight. To avoid the debate being drowned out by yelling and screaming, we will shut off all comments. Uh, how about the idea of simply booting out the trolls who do the yelling and screaming? That's what everybody else does to control things on their blog. That is pure smokescreen. That's not the real reason. It's the arguments that are presented that contain science and data, but they don't like. They want those to disappear. And consider this idea. We'll shut off online commenting, which means that the public doesn't get to say anything. But somehow, that will give, quote, all of us a chance to debate the issue a bit more carefully. Who is all of us? Is it just those deemed worthy of being published in popular science or new scientists? Since they've excluded me, they've excluded you, they've excluded the public from being involved in the debate. This sounds so much like a statement coming from those who consider themselves to be the guardians of truth and the elite. We need to keep the filthy masses out of this discussion until all of us have a chance to decide how to control this even better. Well, there's a blog at Uncommon Dissent discussing this very issue, and Uncommon Dissent allows comments. So let me share with you a couple of the comments from there. So here's the public having their say about this. Scientists have managed to convince themselves and others that they have a rightful monopoly on the production of knowledge. They actually believe that the public who pay their salaries have no right to scrutinize or criticize their activities and pronouncements. The more things change, the more they stay the same. We are witnessing the rebirth of the old condescending and arrogant priesthood all over again. My message to the new priests is this. You jokers are not really that funny. Change your tune or you will be sent on your way. Now, I don't know about you, but I enjoyed being able to read that comment about this. Here's another comment that I think really gets to the point and is well written. Look, this internet thing is a real pain. We regret that it even exists and support all efforts to just turn the darn thing off. With print media, we could pretty much say anything we wanted, and we sounded pretty smart saying it. But now people can just log on and make any comment they want, even pointing out our errors, biases, and inconsistencies. Let's face it, this internet idea was a big mistake. I'm not sure how else this Pandora's box can be closed, returning us to our previous state of unchallenged glory, other than just pulling the plug on the whole shebang. The sooner the better, or else before we know it, people will simply have too many alternatives to the consensus science narrative. All I can say is, bingo, you hit it on the nose. We're discussing the fact that popular science just recently decided to shut off the ability of the public to comment on the articles they publish, and specifically mentioned evolution as one of the topics where they were getting unfortunate stuff presented. 
and that this unfortunate stuff was actually swaying the public consensus away from the absolute truth, my words, not theirs, of evolution. They didn't say absolute truth, they simply believe it and imply it. And furthermore, other publications such as New Scientist have said they think popular science has a good idea. So be prepared to see even more censorship on the discussion of the science related to origins. Now, I've mentioned many times on this show the absolute raving suppression of the evidence for intelligent design, let alone creationism. The evolution community will do anything they can to paint intelligent design as non-science and keep the discussion out of the classroom and out of the public venue. Now, let me ask you a question. If what you are arguing for is actually the truth and you can back it up, do you have to shut down the opposition, disallow them from being involved in the conversation, or can you simply present the data and prove to everyone who's viewing it that you're correct? It's almost like, let's say we would have a debate on whether or not Darwinian evolution and Darwin's view of the tree of life is correct or not. But there's only one presenter in the debate, the Darwinist. The other podium is empty. There's not a word said. And the audience isn't allowed to ask any questions or make any comments. Is that a good way to move science forward? Or is the consensus science so sure it's right that it doesn't need to move forward? By the way, thinking of debates on controversial subjects, most people are very unaware that back in the 70s and on into the 80s, there were quite a few creation versus evolution debates on college campuses. It quickly became apparent that the creationists almost always won these debates. Even the evolutionists admitted that. So what do you think the solution was? Do a better job preparing for the debates? No. The consensus among scientists was, don't debate creationists. Don't allow any conversation of their position to even be presented, but for heaven's sakes, don't participate in a debate. And rather than say to the public, we don't want to debate because we're getting our rear ends kicked when we do, instead they say, well, we don't want to debate because that would lend scientific credibility to the arguments they present. Well, excuse me, if you're correct, you can destroy any pretenses to scientific credibility by simply pointing out, in science, where they are wrong. But the truth is you can't do that, and so you want to squash the debate and keep it from being publicly visible. This isn't a surprising reaction among humans. We see it all over the place in history, in various academic areas, in various political areas, Those that have the power will do anything they can to retain it, and that very often includes squashing any conversation or debate with their opposition. During the short period of time that Jesus was on this earth, he was walking around providing teachings that everybody was amazed at. He was also providing very visible miracles and healings and things like that to provide evidence that what he was saying was true. So what was the reaction of the religious leaders of the day? They wanted to kill him. Despite producing miracles, 
what he was teaching so contradicted their belief system that they could only conclude he's a blasphemer and therefore worthy of death. They could not see beyond their own worldview at all, no matter what evidence was presented to them. Now, that doesn't make them unusual as people. That's typically how we react to things. It's very hard to have your worldview changed in any kind of fundamental way. And for an atheist to consider the possibility that creation might actually have happened, that is a really difficult pill to swallow. We don't even want to think about it. Well, you might say, okay, suppose they shut down the comments on all the articles in all the scientific publications, for example, including New Scientist. Creationists and other dissenters from Darwinian evolution, for example, they could just send in letters to the editor and get their view published that way. Dream on. There is absolute bias and suppression of alternative viewpoints by the editors, some of whom have come out publicly and said they will not publish a letter from a creationist. They seem to think that you, the public, are simply not smart enough to see through the faulty thinking of those evil creationists, like me, for example. And so they have to protect you and not let you ever be exposed to the arguments that they present. Now let's get back to a real part of the heart of the matter by looking a bit more closely at what popular science actually wrote about why they're turning off comments. You can go to the popular science website and read their own words about why they turned off comments. Well, first they talk about uncivil comments polarizing readers, but the truth is you can filter out uncivil comments rather easily, and many, many websites do that. But they also admit another similarly designed study found that just firmly worded but not uncivil disagreements between commenters impacted readers' perception of science. What? You mean the comment section might affect how you interpret the article? Well, then shut off those comments for crying out loud. They go on to say, If you carry out those results to their logical end, commenters shape public opinion. Public opinion shapes public policy. Public policy shapes how and whether and what research gets funded. You start to see why we feel compelled to hit the off switch. What an amazing admission. This is all about making sure we get the proper science funded and keep that information away from those readers because it might impact their perceptions. Again, you're too stupid to see the arguments presented in civil ways by Darwin dissenters. You simply can't handle it. And so we need to protect you from seeing those comments. I love what one reader said about these statements from Popular Science. He wrote, One wonders if Popular Science's website was hacked to display this nonsense, perhaps by a sinister creationist conspiracy, to make scientists look like goofs. <laughs> you would almost think that's possible, but unfortunately, it actually exposes their real thinking. Another commenter said, For them to think they are that important is hilarious. They are merely one or two steps away from being the next U.S. Weekly or Entertainment magazines. Somebody else wrote, Why not rename their magazine Popular Hypothesis Unsupported Enough to Fall Short of Theories and then allow the comments to be turned back on? 
but a non-humorous but very accurate comment out there says, if they believe that the data is on their side, they should hire some commenters, properly identified, of course, ideally the author of the article, to prove the dissenters wrong. If science is just they said, we said, then it's just a power game, not a search for truth. Very well put. The Bible makes the claim that there is evidence for God the Creator within the creation, which would mean that it's available to us within the realm of science. But the Bible also says that mankind will deliberately forget the things that he knows and will be deliberately ignorant of this evidence. So to be a true skeptic, you have to challenge even your own motivation for what evidence you choose to ignore. This show might help expose you to some evidence you would not otherwise see. Give it serious consideration and thought. See creationmythormiracle.com for more info.